0: Welcome to the Caps, Locks, and Chair Shots podcast with your host, Ed Rakin.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, whatever, and wherever you may be listening to us. You have your ears locked in to the Caps Locked Cheer Shots podcast. My name is Ed. I am your host for these festivities. Uh, and joining me as always, he is my arch nemesis, my tag team partner, and my very best friend. You know him from all around the internet, but you can only find his wrestling stuff right here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Johnny Bananas.
0: Well, today is the day, Ed. Today is the day that I get to talk about the one of the worst wrestlers in wrestling history. And, ladies and gentlemen, of course, Dan has activated troll mode, given the fact we are doing
1: a wrestling show. Dan, where were you in 1989? Not thought of. I was exactly a year and a half old. Well, not exactly a year and a half, but I was around 18 months when this particular watch-along took place. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take you back to today's date, 1989, to the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Boy, that city's a shithole. And we are going to take you back to the great American bash, specifically the main event, which featured Ric Flair defending his NWA World's Heavyweight Championship against none other than the funkster Terry Funk. Dan, you're going to rip apart Ric Flair a
0: bunch tonight. Whatever. Well, I'm I'm actually I'm actually going to try to come into this open-minded, right? Because my my recollection of Ric Flair is. From when I was a kid and when he was old, and he, he's really old now, so i'm I'm gonna come into this open minded I'm actually excited to watch this. um I have sound this time, so this should be good. I'm gonna come in open minded hopefully, I don't see Flair do the same five moves I saw him do when uh when I watched him as a kid. Well, just to give you guys a little bit of background into what happened.
1: Before we got here, this was the first Great American Bash under the new WCW banner. Ted Turner had bought Jim Crockett Promotions and pretty much the NWA the November prior to this in 1988. So this was the first Great American Bash under Ted Turner's regime. The commentators were Jim Ross and Bob Caudle, Gordon Sully, you know who Gordon Sully is. You've heard that name before, I assume.
0: Yes, I have heard the name.
1: Borden Sully, a wrestling legend, one of the voices of wrestling's yesteryear. He was backstage doing the announcement. Now, let me reset this for you. Uh, I could go on and give you all the storylines, but we're just not going to do that. We're going to talk about the main rivalry heading into the event was between Ric Flair and Terry Funk for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. I am reading this verbatim off of Wikipedia. At Russell War, Flair defeated Ricky Steamboat to win the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. After the match, Funk challenged Flair for the title, but Flair refused to defend it because Funk was not ranked in the top ten contenders list for the title because, at the time, that was a thing. Funk proceeded to attack Flair and perform a pile driver on him through the table, thus making Flair the face, which is One of the first times in his career he did that. This resulted in Funk winning matches usually against local competitors and improving himself to be ranked in the top 10. He would make mentions of injuring Flair. On the July 1st edition of World Championship Wrestling, Flair requested the WCW Executive Vice President, Jim Hurd, to allow him to defend the title against Funk at the Great American Bash, in which Hurd Accepted. Now, for those of you that don't know who Jim Hurd was, Dan, do you know who Jim Hurd was? That name I am not familiar with. Jim Hurd was one of the people that Eric Bischoff credited with running WCW into the ground, and rightfully so. He was a former producer of NHL hockey here in St. Louis for KPLR Channel 11 before he got the job as the executive vice president running WCW. He would not last long and would be replaced later on in this year. Now, this set the stage for Ric Flair, who was in the middle of the 36th overall title reign for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, going all the way back to Orville Brown and George Hackenschmidt and whatever, whatever. He won that belt, as mentioned, May 7th, 1989, at WrestleWar in Nashville, Tennessee. He would hold the belt 426 days. Spoiler alert, he wins this match until he loses it to Sting the following year at the next Great American Bash, also in Baltimore, Maryland, this that would be the match that made Sting as a main eventer. Sting appeared on this card as well. You, now we've seen that match, right, Dan? You've seen that one with Sting flexing on Flair. It's kind
0: of a classic. I think so. Roughly, I mean, you know, my memory is not the-
1: not the best, not Dan. Cut great. out
0: there, but yeah. Um,
1: now Terry Funk is a for was at the time a former World Heavyweight Championship or champion, excuse me. Thirteen and a half years earlier, at a house show in Miami Beach, Florida, he defeated Jack Briscoe December 10th, 1975. He would hold that belt, ironically, 424 days, just two days longer than two days shorter than what Flair held for his sixth NWA World Heavyweight Championship reign. He would lose it to Harley Race, who would then hold the belt for 926 days in his second reign in Toronto in 1977.
0: A lot of history between these two, Dan. Yeah, there's, that's, that's another thing that I'm interested to, to see Funk, um, to see this match about Funk. This is kind of why I picked this one, and I didn't really want to go into it with you until we got on tier. But I want to kind of see Flair in his prime, because I've run, run him into the ground so much. Is he one of the greatest? Yes. But do I think he's overrated? Yes. I'm hoping this helps change my mind. Lost awesome to um, me! And uh, also, I just kind of remember Terry Funk is just a extreme hardcore guy so uh, i feel um, like
1: a technical wrestler and i think you're gonna see that here today
0: that that's what i'm that's what i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to seeing like two of these guys in a prestigious promotion sorry right. you get the point
1: uh, referring to wcw as a prestigious promotion
0: at this time well it was prestigious in it's in its time right like because it just it, it's the nwa sure. title a yeah. title like
1: Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, it was definitely on the downswing at this point. Bischoff wouldn't take over until, I believe, 94 or 95. So this is some pretty dark times for Ted Turner's WCW, albeit about nine months into his ownership, eight, nine months into his ownership of the company. This Great American, the Great American Bash was a Baltimore staple. Do you know that, Dan?
0: It kind of rings a bell, yes. Um, not going to lie about that. I do feel like that was one that was here a lot. 88, 89, 90,
1: 91, 96, 98, 99, and 2000 were all the Great American Bashes held in Baltimore, Maryland at the Baltimore Arena, which I don't believe exists anymore.
0: Um, so it does, du- it's just changed names. The, the
1: WWE picked up the Great American Bash in 2004, and it has been an on-again, off-again pay-per-view since then for both SmackDown, NXT, and for a few combined pay-per-views. This was the second of three consecutive Ric Flair World Heavyweight Championship main events. In 88, he beat Lex Luger, and in 90, he lost to Sting. He was 2-1 in championship matches during that time. He also had some earlier bashes before they became WCW, where he was in the main event, and a few later. Uh, the tagline for this pay-per-view was glory days. It came from the Baltimore arena, Baltimore, Maryland, with a sold out crowd of 14,500 people on July 23rd, 1989.
0: That's why we'll never have a NBA or an NHL team. Because I that's mean, 14,500, uh,
1: that, 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 that's not too shabby, uh, given the fact that Arizona plays in a 5,000 seat stadium.
0: But they're not going to stay there. But that's a different conversation for a different day.
1: Well, that and also this is 14,500 set up for wrestling, wrestling, not for a sporting event. Uh, There were nine matches on this card. And the first match was interesting. It was a King of the Hill double ring battle royal. Dan, I could give you 30 minutes to explain this match to me, and I don't think you'd get it right. Are you ready for this? Shit show that I'm about to explain to you. Yeah. Because that's exactly what this was. It started with everybody came out. With a crown. By the way this match. $50,000 were on the line. The first third of the match. Everybody was in the first ring. The way to win the first third of the match. Was to put everybody into the second ring. Last man standing. Won the match. That man was Sid Vicious. The second third of this match was a normal battle Royal in the second ring, which was right next to the first. Once there was only one man left in the second ring, obviously Sid didn't cross into the second ring. It would be a normal match for the final third. That second man to win was Dan Spivey. Instead of getting our third match of the evening, instead we got Theodore Long to come out and say he's managing both these gentlemen and they have, united to split the 50k and became the skyscrapers that's going to be important later on dr death steve williams was the last man eliminated in ring two the second match of the card Flying brian he hadn't quite earned his last name pillman defeated by bill irwin i know you know who Flying brian pillman is dan bill irwin yes. ring a bell to you no okay match number three Took nine minutes and 14 seconds and was really the first one I cared about with the skyscrapers, the aforementioned Vicious and Spivey, taking on the dynamic dudes. Any guess on who those two were, Dan? I know you're not much of a historian. That's why we like to play these fun games.
0: I have no
1: idea. A very, very, very young Shane Douglas. That's the franchise, Shane Douglas. Franchise, the first okay. ever, you know, w- ECW World Heavyweight Champion versus, and I'm sorry. With his tag team partner, Johnny Ace. You want to take a guess on who that is?
0: Uh, th- Lornidas. Lauren,
1: that is correct. The Bella Twins stepfather was his tag team partner in all of his Johnny Ace surfer boy glory. The Skyscrapers did these two no favors. And it was a, almost a squash. Jim Cornette. You know James E. Cornette, right? He's, oh, he's kind of yes. the talk of wrestling now. Defeated Paul E. Dangerously in a tuxedo match.
0: Paul E. Dangerous. Why does that sound familiar?
1: Because that man is called Paul Heyman. He is the leader of the Dangerous Alliance at this time, carried around the big brick cell phone. It was a comedic match where Jim Cornette, I'm going to say this once and I want to see your look. Jim Cornette was the face in this match. He was the what? good guy. Oh, yeah. Selling a leg injury, injury and stripped Paul Heyman down to his blue BDEs or BDUs or whatever they're called. His whitey tighties, but they're blue uh, and won the match in 622. Paul Heyman was svelte at this time.
0: Man, okay. could you picture WCW running this match like now with banana hammocks being around? Could you just imagine like. Oh, Paul Heyman 100% would would have been in a leopard print thong.
1: It, it, yeah, if Paulie Dangerously was a manager today and this match happened, yeah. Uh, the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, with Missy Hyatt, defeated the varsity club of Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda. You know who Mike Rotunda is?
0: Yes, the referee, right?
1: No. Mike Rotunda, also called... IRS or Irving. IRS, Irving yes, Keister, Rotunda,
0: Bray. Well, yes, the,
1: Is Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas's father. Dad, yeah, and was a shill for the million dollar man here. He is Captain Mike Rotunda wearing a letterman's jacket and a Syracuse Orangeman singlet as he took on Kevin Sullivan, who was not being referred to as the taskmaster at this time. Sullivan and the dog faced gremlin Rick Steiner beat each other to death. On the outside, while Scott and Rotunda did all of the heavy lifting inside a weird cross body move into this match where Sullivan had Rick Steiner across his chest, and then Scott kind of did a cross body I think it was supposed to be a like a drop kick and and just they got the pin. It was awkward it was four twenty two wasn't the worst match I've ever seen, but it wasn't the best. Do you know who Missy Hyatt is? You're not. I recommend you give her a Google. your eyes will. Struggle to stay in your head. Next up was the NWA television title, where Sting, our TV champion, came out with hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert, who I believe at the time was booking for WCW. And he would take on the great Muta, the one of the newest WWE Hall of Famers, with Gary Hart. This ended in a double pin. They awarded Sting the match, and he retained his W or his NWA television title Uh, next up was lex luger as he defended his u.s championship against ricky steamboat this match was interesting for a number of reasons now luger won the belt from ricky steamboat at clash of champions at fort bragg i do believe by using a steel chair steamboat wanted a no disqualification match as, as as the return match to try to get his belt back Luger would not agree to participate in this match unless the no DQ stipulation was lifted, thus making it a regular match. Steamboat relented after a lot of back and forth. And it wound up being Steamboat taking a chair that Luger brought into the ring and using it against Luger and then shoving the referee. Although I think shoving the referee is what got him the disqualification. And Steamboat lost his opportunity to win that title. Then came match number eight. War Games, where the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express, that'd be Bobby Eaton and Stan Lee, and Dr. Death Steve Williams, they were accompanied to the ring by Paul Ellering and the aforementioned Jim Cornette, defeated the fabulous Freebirds, Michael P.S. Hayes, Jimmy Garvin, and Terry Gordy, and the Samoan SWAT team, Samu and Fatu. Now, this is kind of important, as Samu. Is the cousin to Roman Reigns and and you know obviously part of the Anoa'i family. Do you have, know who Fatu would be by chance, Dan?
2: You are muted, son. You need to learn how
0: to work your audio equipment. He's he's a part of he's a part of the family too, right? Do you know who he is? Cause he's kind of a big deal. Is that the
1: is that Rikishi? That is Rikishi. They were accompanied by. The wise man, Paul E. Dangerously, fully clothed this time. It would be the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express. Think about the tag team talent that was in this match. Arguably three of the best tag teams ever were competing in this War Games match. It was won by the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, and Steve Williams. That'll bring us to our main event of the evening. Now, I took a copious amount of notes all over this pay-per-view. I just sped on through them and did not use them. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to where we are. Ric Flair versus Terry Funk. Now, just to give you a breakdown of what the stats are for these two. Dan, you said you're not very familiar with the Funkster, right?
0: Not from this kind of day and age, right? I'm more familiar with his hardcore work. All right. He he was a one-time NWA,
1: World Heavyweight Champion, held it for 424 days, as we have said before. He was also a two-time United States Champion for the NWA, WCW, JCP, Mid-Atlantic, whatever you want to call it. In the WWE, he was a one-time tag team champion. Dan, give me his tag team partner. Mick Foley. Also known as?
0: Cactus Jack.
1: Thank you. And they won that title at, I believe... The dumpster match at Wrestle—no, they lost the dumpster match. No, they won the dumpster match, and then they went over the dumpster over the side. Yeah, anyway. He was also the inaugural—or he was also crowned the ECW World Heavyweight Champion at the inaugural ECW pay-per-view, Barely Legal. He was also a—he a, won that title a second time and was the ECW Television Champion. Ric Flair. We have come to Ric Flair. He was a seven-time World Heavyweight Championship in WCW. He was a mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion three times. He was the international world heavyweight champion in WCW twice. He was a world television champion twice. And he was a US champion six times all in WCW. He was also a world tag team champion three times. Dan, give me the give me his tag team partners.
2: Uh
1: Randy Orton. No, close. Batista? Twice he won that title with Batista. Uh, did he win it with Hawk? Roddy Piper. Yeah, I would have never got that. He was also a one-time Intercontinental Champion and a two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion way back in the day when he won the Royal Rumble in 1992. In fact, he is one of the few men that are a Triple Crown Champion in both WCW and the WWE. So now you know. Out of these two, well, I'm not even going to ask this question. Out of these two, which do you think is better? Because I know where you're going to land on this and you're just going to hate on Rick Flair all night,
0: but still. I mean, so out of these two, out of the accolades and what I know of them, Flair's probably the better wrestler. I'm I'm really like, and I I don't know if, if this is something you ever heard me say before, but I'm really looking forward to watching an old match. I have not ever heard you say that. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we are now here. I
1: want you to go to the WWE Network and search Great American Bash. You are going to click on the picture of the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Diamond Dallas page. And then move your timestamp to 2 hours, 14 minutes, and 19 seconds. You will see good old JR Jim Ross and Bob Caudette, or Caudill. Standing there talking, and then you're going to hear the entrance music of Ric Flair. Dan's going to give you a countdown for us to press play. So, pause right now. Get your stuff situated. Dan, give us the countdown now. Ten.
0: Three. Two.
1: One. And we are pressing play here at WCW's Great American Bash 1989. Look at that crowd. Boy, you wouldn't see that crowd in 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 that other promotion that's going on right now, would you?
0: No, it's really interesting too, though, knowing this arena and the way that's set up. So uh, very very interesting to see the way that it's to see the way that the arena was set up and the the crowd itself too. It's well, to
1: how, how many do you count there? Twelve, sixteen, different. Law enforcement officers come down to the ring with Terry Funk and uh Gary Hart. Look at him in all his Texas glory. Is that a branding iron, too? It is a branding iron. Oh, my. And the fans are just giving it to him. That could have been your dad there, bud. No, my dad's dead. Well, this is 1989, so. Yeah, you're right. He could have been there, but he wasn't. Ah, uh, You never know. Before you were born, buddy. Look at that blue. Very
0: good color on Terry Funk.
1: Now, right before this, I've never so
0: I've never even seen this type of a, like Terry Funk attire.
1: Yeah, this is very common. There's there's something you gotta look at right there. Do you see between the space between the two rings? Yeah. When the opening match started, those rings were flush against each other. And now there's a noticeable gap in one of the corners. Ah, uh, that's where Charlotte
2: Flair gets it then. God, it's beautiful, isn't it? Look at that robe.
1: Oh, the showmanship. And the beautiful women, of course. So Terry Funk comes down with a bunch of cops. Ric Flair comes down with a quartet of beautiful women in sequin dresses. I said beautiful. They were beautiful from afar.
0: There's they got like two Baltimore hun hair going on, too. I was going to say there's two of them that do not look like Baltimore's finest. You ever wonder if Ric Flair
1: just stuck with the 10s or if he was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm tired tonight. Just give me like three twos and I'll be
0: okay. I'm sure he took whatever he could get.
1: But what do you think he could get on a regular night?
0: I
2: don't know. Anyway, I really don't.
1: like I said, interesting thing about this match. Ric Flair is the face in this match. And right before right before all of this hullabaloo started, right before JR and Caudill, or Caudill, started talking flair cut a promo with gordon sully and it was not the typical Gordon's, or rick flair promo and that is a purple robe i thought that was blue at first but that is a gorgeous purple robe anyway he was calm he spoke eloquently as the match is underway and they are on the entrance ramp as Fla- oh look at how good flair looks
2: Is there you see Jr. quoting him with the dirtiest player in the game? Flair doing the dance? All right. Look at that barricade. Held together by athletic tape. Painter's tape, even. Blue painter's tape.
0: Flair probably in the best shape I've ever seen.
1: Oh, you should have seen him in some of his earlier stuff in the 70s. Even a year before this, he looked amazing. God, look at the crowd. White tank tops and everything else. I mean, just beautiful. Oh, thumb to the eyes. The Flair Classic. No, he gave him uh, him the the hammer fist on top of the head.
2: Either way, it was terrible camera work.
0: Red, white, and blue bunting.
1: So it is a great intro,
0: man, I'd love this heel work by Funk right now. Oh, just running out of the ring. Oh, just, there goes a the chair. Just getting just hasn't I don't think he's landed a punch yet.
2: And has just been selling and running.
1: Flair oh, this is ter- this was Terry. Face Funk. There pushing the... This was Terry Funk and at at his best. This was what wrestling was at his best, you know. Obviously, Funk's not going to win you any competitions at this point of his career in technical wrestling, and uh, Ric Flair really isn't either. But who is the ref? That's what I want to know. Uh the ref would have been Tommy Young refereeing this match. He he was a veteran uh, of the NWA at the time. The other referee for this pay per view was Nick Patrick. Remember Nick Patrick? Name sounds familiar. Came over with WCW during the invasion. Was the NWO's personal referee for a while.
2: There was there was the middle-aged and crazy line that Funk used for a good decade. Ooh. Now, the
1: whole story behind Flair's promo before this was the DDT that I talked about earlier had hurt some of flair's neck and back and Sully asked him does it bother you that you are one ddt away from your career being over and you being unable to walk so the neck and spine thing was very much a selling point during this match flair would go on to wrestle for another 15 years after this at a high level for 15 years after this it was wild. in fact after flair loses the belt to sting in 1990 it would begin a uh, tumultuous relationship with WCW where he would be in the WWE eighteen months after dropping the big gold belt to Stinger. Who held it for
0: less than a year? See, that's part of the way I that's part of the same reason why I don't like Hawk. Those guys I just feel like they didn't get their way. They cried and they ran. Well
1: now, um to be fair. Jim Heard wanted Flair to shave his head and call himself Spartacus or something like that. I would have left for different pastures, too, if I'm Ric Flair and they want me to shave off my head. I mean, I guess that's kind of fair. I mean, you don't wreck with the brand of Ric Flair, especially by somebody who's not even a wrestling fan, which Jim
0: Heard was not. Oh, he can't get him up for the suplex there? Is, is this a work? or? Oh, it's, it's absolutely fun- a work.
1: It's absolutely a work. It's good ring psychology by Flair to not sell that as he rolls out of the
2: ring. Two of the best ever right here. 34 years ago today, this happened. Right down the street from where you live, too.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's
0: pretty funny, too. Cause you, you sent these to me. I knew nothing about both of them. You gave me this one and another one to pick. Well, this no. was not
1: planned to do this on this date and to pick this match because we were going to do Jericho Rey Mysterio from 2009's bash as it's one yes. of the highest rated uh, matches of both their careers. But it just so happened to work that this happened. This is the anniversary of this match. as now both men are down on the blue mats outside. It's amazing. We're watching this through HD or at least, I guess, upscaled standard death. But uh this looks like this could be any wrestling gym anywhere, anywhere. You know, and I'm seeing this with my eyes, but this is this is 34 years old. And it's still yeah. like the video quality is, is, is amazing. You know, these are some of the best chops. The, uh, are very see, reminiscent. the no-sell um, by, 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 Funk there. I, I have a problem with that. Although I'm not sure what scraping somebody's teeth would have done, but.
0: Um. Some of the best chops that I, I mean, I feel like can learn from that. I don't know if it's just how close the camera was there or what it was,
1: but. It was excellent production. To get that close and really seem it
0: right in there. I'm also just, like, I'm also thinking about the sound of those chops with the era that this is in. Like, the technology is clearly nowhere near. what I mean, if you ever heard a Walter Chop live, a Gunther Chop live, um that's one of the things that will make your chest literally hurt just listening to it live. True. Um, and just hearing it over TV, you know, you kind of just like, oh, you wince a little bit now that you're taking that. And I kind of have that feeling here a little bit ooh. too when these guys are, are chopping each other. It's, uh, it's clearly some technique and also just, you know, these guys doing the – oh, oh, they the trying cranks. to break
2: Terry Funk's neck. you got to love it.
1: Like, you, you just you gotta love all of this just the old schoolness not this was nineteen eighty nine so this was before the n w o this was before you know flair and hogan this 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 is before all the class a lot of the classic matches flair had this is before funk and e c w really took off obviously if paulie dangerously still in you know w c w but just to think. By the way, you see that white powder in the corner? That is from Cornette and and Heyman earlier in the match. I believe it was baby oh, powder they were throwing at each other.
2: It's just it's crazy to think what some of these guys
1: did after this. Late late in their careers. Oh, pile driver, pile driver. Oh, flair textbook. As funk does the
2: curly Howard spin on his arm. What is he doing? He's he's
1: convulsing
0: towards his neck here.
1: Oh, he just ripped some of the tape off. This referee has zero fucks to give today.
0: He is he's Uh, the same one that. That's that's actually something I kind of don't like. He's. I just don't know the era enough to have an opinion on it. Like, is this guy just showing out, or is this? No, this was a thing.
1: This, This was very much a thing where the referees were actually men and not just bona fide props or Aubrey
2: Edwards. Um, But yeah,
1: it's great
0: work by these two. That is the same
1: ref that uh, steamboat that disqualified steamboat. So yeah, this was even before uh, the twins in the WWF, I can't remember their name, the Hebner twins started doing their shenanigans.
2: Plus, you got to remember at this time, kayfabe
1: was still kind of a very much a thing. Yeah, and the state athletic commissions were very much a thing, especially in Maryland at the time, as the Maryland Athletic yeah. Commission I was mean, one of
0: the more hands-on in professional wrestling. Absolutely. Um. So my mom's ex-husband owned a promotion at one point. You and I have had this conversation. Yeah. Um, but.
1: See, there you go again. We're the ref telling the, the cameraman to move so he can do his job. You gotta love
0: that. Um and uh I can't tell you how many times they we would be in the back and somebody would accidentally bleed, and you would just hear Danny and Dennis just fuck. Fuck, because the fines were coming. Maryland State Athletic Commission is still one of the toughest out there. Oh, we have the figure four. Funk shoulders down. One, two, kicked out.
1: Oh, the branding iron. He's got the branding iron. Right back turned. Oh, he
2: knocked Flair in the face. The perk of having a good manager
1: right there. Gary Hart. Underrated. You hear a lot of... You don't hear his name brought up enough when people talk about some of the greatest managers ever. Gary Hart was up there.
0: Yeah, that was a very, very, very healy move.
1: Uh Uh-oh, is Flair bleeding?
0: Speaking of blood...
1: Yeah, Flair is cut open,
2: and he is cut o- busted wide open. I wonder if it was the branding iron, or if there's a little blade somewhere. Uh, that was that definitely was not the hard way. That was definitely blade work. Uh oh, here's another pile driver. In fact, that gentleman in the tux right there is
1: from the Baltimore State Athletic Commission. I do believe that he's the ring announcer. He may be ring announcer Michael or Gary Michael Capetta. Oh, oh! Flair ring general move, getting to the bottom rope.
2: Good referee work, very well executed all round by these three. This is a pretty good match so far i'm pretty impressed i think my grade school had those same blue mats on the walls yeah they did it's amazing how far
1: safety concerns have come as well now granted this is 34 years ago before anybody even sniffed anything about concussions or broken necks or anything like that especially given the pile drive oh there it is there's another classic terry funk move the elect the uh Athletic tape around the neck.
2: No, it's a no disqualification match. The referee just got shoved. After the referee was pulling his hair. Well, he wasn't listening. How about that, though? Oh, pile driver onto the concrete.
1: Oh, that had to hurt absolutely not a bit at all. As the mats were so. Hold man. Having a, having a
0: grown man land on your head, that might hurt a little
1: bit. That's ah, Ric Flair soft. It ain't like you got Batista and all those muscles
0: landing on you. Man, that was that was pretty convenient. Terry Funk pulled that mat up to where, because that's where he was landing and doubled the cushion there. I'm telling you. How about it?
1: How about. What it? was
0: that? That cell? I don't see it like what?
1: Uh, it could just be Flair being Flair and blading himself again. Oh, he's untangling the tape from his hair. That's what that was. Boy, could you imagine having to wash the blood out of that bleach blonde hair all the time? It's a wonder he yeah, still he,
0: has hair left. I imagine he he just might rebleach it. Just if I'm not I'm not washing this. I'm just rebleaching it.
1: And that it's still pretty crazy. You know, you're going to rag on Rick, you rag on Rick Flair a lot, but it is impressive to think about what he survived as an early, as an early, you know, the plane crash and breaking his back in as many places as he did. I don't know if you watched the, the ESPN documentary. I have not yet. Oh, you need to, because it, it definitely, it, Flair had a lot of in the production of it, and it was, I think it was recorded right before he almost died and then released right after. Or after so he healed, brilliant.
0: just faked but, his death so they could release it and he could Oh no no
1: him. He 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 was really near death. This was a couple of years ago. Remember? I know I know I know I know. But um, he told the story about how he got into wrestling and how he survived the plane crash and all that stuff. Does not paint him in the best light. And he he comes forthright and admits that he uh, he was not a good man, and definitely not a good father. And that was co-signed by his his uh. His daughter, at least. Speaking of his daughter, the non-famous one, did you know her husband, Conrad Thompson, is now in the uh, Hall of Fame? The International Wrestling Hall of Fame.
0: I did not. I mean, Conrad's a pretty big name in the business, though.
1: Absolutely. He's a uh, he's well, uh, collector, historian, podcaster. Very solid guy. Oh, the branding iron's used against Harry Funk. Now it's his turn to bleed. Uh, you and Terry's gonna bleed, bleed. Well, these neither. I mean, both. I shouldn't say neither. Both of yeah. There he is, cutting himself now. Both of these guys aren't exactly known for working uh, clean. Have you seen pictures of Funk lately? He just had a birthday. Looks damn good for being in his nineties. No, I have not. Yeah, he uh, all over social media. Happy birthday, Terry Funk. I do believe that is a f- member of Funk's family. It looks like maybe a father or something. I know that family was really massive down in Texas as well. See, I think I would have liked to have been a wrestling fan at this time because I would have totally bought a $200 camera and just faked a pass and then jumped my way over the thing and just said, no, I work for a- such and such, and I'm just here to take pictures and you know get right up into the ring. Because some of these guys, you can't tell them from from fans, you know?
0: Yeah. It's a lot different of a time.
1: Very physical match here. Not a lot of wrestling holds done. A lot of punches, a lot of kicks. A lot of reversals, too, especially to that pile driver. I think we've seen that reverse two or three times now. Oh, there's Flair (laughs) with the in-close jabs.
0: Pile drivers, too, from back then to now, it's absolutely insane, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We can thank Stone Cold Steve Austin for that when I'm breaking his neck. Oh, misses with the high-medium knee, I guess. I always wondered why Flair's knee pads always started at his knees and then wound up around his legs, like around his shin pads, you know? You ever notice that? Oh, he's going for the figure four. He's going to beat Flair with his own move.
2: Did he turn the wrong way? Oh, small package. Small package, one, two, he rolls him over. Oh, there it is. Did he beat him? Did he get him? Flair got, wow.
1: Oh, and Gary really Hart gets fist to the face. Well, you got to remember, this was at a time where finishers weren't a thing. Like, they weren't necessarily no, I mean, a thing to signify the end of a match. It was stuff like this where it was still kind of a real thing to do. Oh, here's the great Muda with the mist. And now the beatdown ensues as Muda and Funk, both under the direction of Gary Hart, who represented them both, start beating the tar. There goes the referee. Nice sell job going through the ropes. Oh, title to the face.
2: I do believe Flair and Muda would wrestle
1: each other over in Japan later on this year. I do believe that's how this worked out, but I know him and Funk did continue this rivalry. In fact, also from Wikipedia, Flair and Funk's feud continued into the fall with a match at Clash of the Champions 8 that resulted in controversy when Funk tied a plastic bag around Ric Flair's head in an attempt to, quote, suffocate him. Then the feud ended when Flair beat Funk at Clash of Champions 9 in an I Quit match. Sting and The Great Muta continued their feud as well after the TV title was held up due to the double pin. A tournament was held and Muta beat Sting to win the world TV title. Sting and Flair, former enemies, would later join forces against Hart's J-Tex Corporation, which consisted of Muta, Funk, Buzz Sawyer, and the Dragon Master. Sting and Flair were later bolstered by the returning Arn and Oli Anderson in December. Steamboat would leave WCW and bounce around the Indies before returning to the WWF in 1991. This also, as now we see Sting and Muda brawling in the ring, it looks like. With Flair and Funk chopping each other on the outside as Funk is hanging on the rail. Now Flair's back in the ring. And there goes Muda. And now Sting and Flair, two of them. The biggest two names in WCW history,
2: right? You would say? Yeah?
0: Say that one more time.
1: I said Flair and Sting, two biggest names in WCW history.
0: Bigger than Hulk?
1: In WCW history? Yes. Okay. Hulk to me, despite what he did with the NWO, will always be a WWFE guy. Like that's it. they will always, he will always be a WWE guy. Flair is, despite what he did in the WWE, is always a WCW guy. No matter what Sting does in AEW, he's a WCW guy. I I think that goes without saying. But Flair did. I think that win. one's
0: definitely fair
1: flair did win the match here and retained his belt as oh he's who's going after there he goes after muda again now flair and funk god such a just fantastic ending with these four muda wasn't a big name in north america but it's one of arguably the biggest names in japan japanese wrestling history and just the talent in this just this right here is it's phenomenal
2: This is insane.
1: And this is all after the match. Match is over. Yeah. Pay-per-view is almost over. Uh, There's about seven, uh, six minutes left in the actual pay-per-view feed is there. We see Flair walking away. Now, this is WCW. So, oh, that was little Seth Rollins swing. Surely he stole that from Seth Rollins 30 years later, right? Swinging the belt over his head. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There's something that just looks so right about Ric Flair holding that belt.
1: You know? Yeah. Like, there are certain things that just hit the eye the right way. Stone Cold Steve Austin with the winged eagle. The Rock's eyebrow, you know. Brock Brock Lesnar with the original undisputed champion. You know, that belt that they gave, that, that they brought to get when they brought the WCW and the WWF title together. That belt, it just, it looks right. Hey, this is configured for hockey, it looks like. Is there you see a little bit of the boards? Obviously, there's no ice in July, but it looks like this arena at some point was configured for hockey. Skipjacks. And what uh, what league were they? I assume they were, at this time, the IHL, because mm-hmm. the ECHL wasn't around. Oh, there's the branding iron being
2: used again. I now correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm. What year I was
1: not, this? 1989.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean they were around. It was in '89. They were in the AHL.
1: The AHL, so that's the AAA. Uh, now correct of me if I'm Washington wrong, Chandler's. but I, I do believe that that branding iron was actually used to brand Mick Foley. Oh chair to the back of the head as they cut away. This is wild.
2: That has been over for like five minutes. Oh oh is that a VIP rope? This thing's just gonna choke out Muda with a VIP rope. It's fine. Oh, throw him up the ramp. Yeah.
1: This is wild. Look at that chair. That's like an old school high school desk
0: chair. Yes. Yes.
1: Not a folding chair. He just took a straight plastic desk chair right to the back of the head.
2: You're right, Jim Ross. It is
1: far, far from over. But uh what a fun little match that happened thirty-four years ago. As we see a bloody flare is finally given the belt by the referee, although he's had it off and on. Oh, is
2: he gonna get interviewed by Jim Ross? Well, that was
1: kind of a promo. Oh, he's bringing Sting in. This is the this is the beginning of the making of Steve Borden. As now we get the classic Ric Flair yelling promo. His face oh, he's is redder than the blood dripping out of his head.
0: Browner? Yes, it is. Maroon? His face is hilarious.
1: It's maroon. It's not even red. It's maroon. The mixture of the blood and the lack of oxygen and it. And the fact that his eyes and his teeth are so white. He's like the
2: Red Hulk. You know, I bet Ric Flair could have played a decent Red Hulk in the 80s, you know? Could have. Did Steve get know. the woo from Ric Flair? That's a good
1: question. Because, you know, Flair's always got that high pitch, woo, but Sting's more of a, yo, Yo. kind of like a combination between Flair and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know? That's the way I always thought of it. How about Jim Ross doing some duty here with WCW? I always liked watching Jim Ross before the Bell's Palsy really kind of took him over. He was very charismatic.
0: This sounds very terrible to say. Uh but at first I didn't recognize that was Jim Ross.
1: Really? Was it lack of a cowboy hat?
0: Um, just because, how, how, once again, how do I say this without sounding like an asshole? Just because he looks normal.
1: Oh, okay. You know, they say you can take the Oklahoman out of the OK state, but you can't take the OK state out of the Oklahoman. Jim Ross's bow tie and tuxedo were camouflaged, Like his bow tie and his cummerbund camouflage here you see a replay of the end as funk went for the small package had flair rolled up and then flair got got funk by rolling over at two i know why they did it and maybe i'm just so accustomed to seeing professional wrestling nowadays where it's set up with the finisher and the false finishes and everything else But there's something to be said about the surprise factor when a match ended this way. And this was very common in this time, where it would be a pinning predicament just got reversed into a different one and the match would be over. Ah, yes, the 1980s. Outro music is here. We see the graphics are finally rolling for Great American Bash 1989. Now, Dan, I know you didn't watch the rest of this pay-per-view, but I did. What give me a give me a star rating for this match. What'd you think? I'm
0: gonna give this a solid three point five out of five three point three and a half out of five. That low. Really? What do you mean?
1: That's not low. This match is very highly rated. In fact, many, many
2: places have this well over four. I could go two four. Um
1: Okay. All right. I mean, I guess that's, that's all right. Um, I gave it a, I gave it a five and a half or four and a half. I didn't quite go into Dave Meltzer territory, which there is something we're going to talk about here shortly about Mr. Meltzer before we end the show. But, uh, overall that, yeah, I gave it a four and a half and I gave this pay-per-view a solid three. Yeah, let's make it a solid four. I mean, the first, I guess, set of matches was asinine. With the King of the Ring or Battle Royal, whatever it was called, the the whatever. King of the Hill, Double Ring Battle Royal. It, it was whatever. Uh, Pillman and Irwin were, were. it was fun to watch Brian Pillman just wrestle in his prime. Um, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace got owned, and anytime Johnny Ace gets owned, I'm, I'm for it. Uh, Cornette and Heyman was funny, and it was great. The Steiner Brothers and the Varsity Club was what it was. You know, it, it wasn't anything great, but it wasn't anything terrible. Uh, Staying in the Great Muda, I could watch a thousand times, and it's still not be enough. They only gave them eight minutes and 40 seconds. They could have gone 30, and I would have been okay with it. Uh, Luger and Steamboat, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance before this one. It could have gone longer. I, For a Lex Luger match, I enjoyed it. Uh, War, the War Games match was great. It was well done. It was a little short at only 22 minutes for a War Games match, but I thought it was done well, and this match was a classic. So, yeah, I'm going to say 375 for the pay-per-view and four and a half for the main event. Uh, you got anything you want to add to this before we uh, take a round of and start heading for home?
0: I was pleasantly surprised with this uh, with this match and these two guys, and um, maybe Rick Filler's not as bad as I thought.
1: We're going to bust out some. Some of the things that we've started doing here, we're going to call them odd stats that can't possibly be true, but absolutely are. And didn't come up with much this week, but I came across the most wins since the year 2000 in the NFL. It's no surprise the New England Patriots are number one by a lot. Kind of shocked me that the Pittsburgh Steelers were number two. But the unbelievable stat here is the Patriots have 20. 27 more wins than the second place team Pittsburgh Steelers The Green Bay Packers that's 262 for for the Patriots by the way The Steelers have 235 the Packers at 231 then the Colts at 221 the Eagles are the Ravens at 219 then the Eagles at 217 Saints 211 Seahawks 210 Chiefs 206 and that's everybody with 200 wins. The the Broncos and, and the Cowboys are right there with 199 and 198. Another thing that shocked me, the Detroit Lions have more wins than the Cleveland Browns. 131 to 125. Now, Dan, how many seasons have we played since the year 2000? 22?
0: Or is it technically 23? I believe it's 23. I always get confused with the way that is because of the way the calendar years fallen. You can call me stupid. You're if right. You want. You're right. Let's oh. say tw- let's say 20. No, it would be 23 because
1: because of the way the calendar's fallen. We haven't started the whole tw- It's 22. Or do you count the 2000? Let's say 23. Okay. So either way, 125 divided by 23. The Browns have
2: averaged 5.4 wins a season, averaging. Basically being 5-11. and 11.
1: While the Patriots have been 11-5. 11.4 wins per season. That's insane.
0: That's a lot. That's insane.
1: Yeah. But we also. In, so- the, now here's my question for you. Going into this coming season. The Browns need six more wins than Detroit to climb out of that cellar. They need 15 more wins to catch the 15th place team in the AFC, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're not going to catch the Jaguars this year. But can the Browns finish with six more wins than Detroit this year?
0: Well, you know my answer. And that's it's going to be no, Right. But I mean, but it, it's not me trolling you. It's just because, as you know, I think Detroit's going to you're, you're high on Detroit.
1: Year. And Detroit yeah. is playing in a weak division.
0: So it's, it's not me trolling enough. this time. It's 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 a logical thought in my head. Fair enough. It's just rad. Yeah, like, I mean it is. I mean it's to, like to look at some of these numbers.
1: And and another thing that really kind of shocks me: the Los Angeles Rams have 171 wins. They are currently 12th in the NFC, three behind the Chicago Bears, and one ahead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For as bad as the Rams were for so long in St. Louis. For them to be that much better than the Lions, although I guess the Lions do have several years with one and two wins and even one with zero. It just it kind of shocked me that the Rams were in that position because they were so bad for so long and then so good for so long. I guess it makes sense, but they are exactly 60 games behind the Green Bay Packers for first.
0: Um. Well. Who's second to the Packers? I'm so sorry. I'm making you a... The
1: Philadelphia Eagles have 217 wins, followed by the New Orleans Saints with 211, the Seahawks with 210, the Cowboys 198, the Vikings 193, the Falcons with 182, the Giants 177, the Niners 177, Panthers 174, Bears 174, Rams 171, Bucks 170, Cardinals 160, Commanders 154, And the Lions 131. Speaking of the Commanders, they have been sold for an NFL record 6.0. I'm sorry, a world record of $6.05 billion to a ownership group with the minority owner, Magic Johnson.
0: How do you feel about that? Glenn Dan Snyder's gone, obviously. Glenn Dan Snyder got to pay a nice little. I mean, I mean, it was a drop in the bucket for the 600 billion that he just got. $6.05 $6.05 billion. Um, But got to pay a nice little $60 million fine on his way out the door. Yeah. 1% of what he just got.
1: Yeah. That would Jeez. be the equivalent of you making $2,400 in your paycheck and having to pay $24. Right?
0: I mean, I'd be, yeah, yeah. I had, I'd be pissed if I had to give up $24. Uh You are cheap.
1: Anyway. Um, interesting thing, Magic Johnson said they would reevaluate the commander's nickname at the end of the season, including changing the logo.
0: What do you think about I think, that? I think this team's gonna get a whole rebrand to kind of try to get away from the mm. Snyder and also it's a stupid name. You should have just stayed with the football team.
1: I disagree, but with everybody getting trademarks and everything else, and a lot of the names are being taken didn't really have much to choose. I mean look at your precious Vegas golden Knights. they had eighteen names to sort through before they got to the Golden knights because of trademarks taking their names, and even then the gold they had to get permission from I believe it was the arm the uh West Point to use golden knights as as a trademark. That's the state we live in, buddy. They're going to play hell trying to get another nickname. But if anybody can do it, it's Magic Johnson. He is I mean, It's Also, it's
0: going to be the NFL,
1: too, right? Yeah, because the NFL matters. Anyway,
0: Isn't that is it crazy going- to think that they just paid $6.05 billion for a league that's going to be dead in, like, 30 years. The league won't be dead. It'll be flag football, but it won't
1: be dead. Anyway... That's going to wrap us up here for the Caps Locks and Chair Shots podcast. What you can expect from us going into next week, you are going to get a Players of Named Later show. We're about ready to start kicking off our NFL and NHL previews for the season. You are also going to get another show from the Caps Locks and Chair Shots brand. We are going to talk about SummerSlam, maybe do a watch along with some SummerSlam matches there. We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, for those of you that are just now finding us, we posted three shows today because I have been very behind on my work. So we have three brand new shows, the Sox and Shot show, Money in the Bank that we recorded earlier this month, and two other players name Blader shows from the last two weeks. We're going to get you another one this coming week. Our last hodgepodge show before we begin our season previews in the two sports we care about the most. You're also going to get an MLB preview in there as well. Dan, everything else before
0: we hit the road. I got nothing else to add here, bud. It's been a good show. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, Maybe uh, maybe the next watch along will be another match of wrestlers that I don't like. All right. And, ladies and gentlemen, as
1: always, we'd like to thank you all for listening. And just remember, if you're not down with the Caps Locked and Cheer Shots podcast, Dan has two words for you. Keep listening.